Thursday, the 22nd of February. It's the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter the Apostle. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, on the night you were betrayed, you prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. Strengthen today the faith of your people. After your resurrection, you showed yourself to Peter. Enlighten our hearts so that we may own you as the living one. In your mercy, you forgave Peter his betrayal. Forgive us our sins also. Lord Jesus Christ, head of the church, who told St. Peter that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church you founded, confirm and strengthen us in our faith, that we may confess you ever more fervently, you who live and reign with God the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. It is the Sunrise Morning Show, and I, I always have to catch myself on days like this because I almost said chair of St. Peter pray for us but it's like a it's like a piece of furniture it's like St. John Lateran is a building or Maria Maggiore you know they they're awesome things and we get to celebrate what they represent but you can't really ask a chair to pray for you however we are going to get into the significance of today's feast of the chair of St. Peter as the show continues. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. You can check out our video feed. Please do check it out in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. We've got a video, video feed going on our Facebook page as well as our YouTube channel. Catherine Fishlock, our liturgical catechist, as it were, is going to discuss some good Lenten hymns, if you're looking for good Lenten uh, meditations. Uh, Stephanie Mann will talk about Thomas More and his meditations that apply to Lent. Father Robert Nixon will talk about the virtue of constancy, and we'll get more thoughts on being in a better headspace this Lent from pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast. So much to get to as the morning continues. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The University of Alabama is pausing its in vitro fertilization services. Earlier this week, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are children under the law. The decision comes from a 2022 case where several couples filed a wrongful death lawsuit after their frozen embryos were dropped on the floor by a hospital patient in what's known as a cryogenic nursery. The University of Alabama says they must suspend IVF while they evaluate the potential that patients or doctors could be prosecuted for IVF. The pastor of the only Catholic church in Gaza says things are getting worse for the 600 Christians who are sheltering there. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. This is not the first time that the Israeli army has ordered the population of Gaza City to leave the area, and each time the displaced Christians living in the Holy Family Parish compound have decided to stay, as it is impossible to move the elderly, sick and disabled people sheltered there without jeopardizing their safety. This time too, said Sister Nabila Saleh, they don't want to move despite the risks. The nun of the Sisters of the Rosary of Jerusalem again lamented that the international community is not doing enough to stop the war. Civilians here are dying under bombs and from hunger and hardship, she said. 
for his part father gabriele romanelli the parish priest of the holy family who hasn't been able to return to gaza city since the 7th of october describes the situation of christians and the civilian population living in the enclave as a way of the cross according to the hamas ministry of health since the outbreak of the war the death toll among palestinians killed by the israeli attacks on gaza has now exceeded twenty nine thousand with over sixty nine thousand injured in this context the holy family parishes living conditions are becoming more and more difficult and after four months of war the six hundred displaced christians sheltering in the compound are tired and disheartened on friday last week father romanelli managed to get in contact with his parish to celebrate the first lenten way of the cross in this lenten season we share our way of the cross with jesus asking for the gift of peace said sister nabila who called for prayers for christians and all the palestinian people suffering in gaza i am lisa zengarini u.s prosecutors say a japanese crime boss has been trafficking nuclear material from myanmar to sell to iran an indictment was announced yesterday against 60-year-old Takeshi Abisawa, who prosecutors claim is a leader in Japan's Yakuza crime syndicate. He's being charged with trafficking uranium and plutonium with the expectation that Iran would use the materials to make nuclear weapons. He's expected to appear this morning in federal district court in Manhattan. A Los Angeles woman remains detained in Russia after being accused of treason. Lisa Taylor has more. Russian authorities allege the dual national raised funds in support of Ukraine. The woman's employer in California says she was arrested after donating $51 to a Ukrainian charity. Russian officials say the 33-year-old ballerina also took part in public actions inside the United States in support of Ukraine. The punishment for treason in Russia is up to 20 years in prison. I'm Lisa Taylor. Boeing is replacing the head of its 737 MAX program. Mark Mayfield has more. The company announced on Wednesday that Ed Clark is leaving Boeing after nearly two decades. The 737-9 MAX jet has been under scrutiny since a door plug blew out during an Alaska Airlines flight last month. The FAA grounded all 737-9 MAX planes following the incident. In response, Boeing has said it is revamping its quality control procedures. I'm Mark Mayfield. And the MLS season opener went to Lionel Messi and Inter-Miami as they hosted Real Salt Lake at Chase Stadium in a 2-0 victory. That's 2-0. Messi did not score in the match but did record an assist in the first half and finish the night with three shots on target. The rest of the MLS will play will begin on Saturday with Messi and Miami scheduled for match two on Sunday in Los Angeles against the Galaxy. All right. And pitchers and catchers have reported, and I think our they first uh, inter-squad games are there. Are they this weekend? Is that when they... Um, probably. The teams start playing, like, spring training? Yeah, probably. Games? Paul Lockman and I were speculating as... Oh, Paul just told me that it's today. Today? Today. Whoa. One game today. I get excited. I get I very excited about this. Well, we were Paul Lockman and I were talking about MLS in our local hour yesterday, um, wondering if it's starting early because of the Olympics. Because it seems kind of early for soccer to beginning. They just ended, like not that long ago. Okay. So well, I don't as know. As far as I know, I mean, because the Olympics are this summer, you know. I watch a little in World France. Cup. 
watch a little Olympics. I love that. The is World my Cup. Uh, that is my football uh, experience. I mm-hmm. listen to what Joseph Pierce has to say about Chelsea in our local hour because he's an English historian and literary <laughs> consultant. But in our local hour, people don't know this. He also does uh, reports does report on Premier on League, Chelsea Premier League. Whereas for me, MLS is like a real estate term. So, <laughs> it's a good point. I do what I can. I'm ready for baseball. I know, right? It. it feels good. It was warm. It's warm this morning here in Cincinnati. It feels like a day for baseball. So. Well, I can tell you this. My mental health like rebounds after the cold, cold days of winter when I hear those magical words. Dust you are into dust you shall return. And pitchers and catchers report. It's such a great reset button. Both it really is. It really them together. It's good stuff. And pitchers and catchers reported on Ash Wednesday this year. So, Matt, yeah, it was like true. a double whammy for Ash you. Ash Wednesday, Valentine's Day, pitchers and catchers report. I tell you what. One of those things is not like the other. What a year. What a year. What a Lent. Today is Thursday, February the 22nd, the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. St. Peter, pray for us. It's nine On past. the Sunrise Morning Show here in studio is our Sunrise Morning Show music teacher, Catherine Fishlock, professional singer, musician, and teacher. It's good to see you. Good morning. It's great to be here. Happy Lent. Yeah, likewise. We are going to be um, talking about some Lenten hymn recommendations that you have today, Catherine. Maybe you could just start us off with, with the list that you have just kind of off the top of your head. Sure. Yeah, so um, you know the one of the great you know the things one of the things I love about the church is uh, seasonal music, yes. right? That that heartbeat of life that 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 Holy Mother Church you know guides us through with her own seasons. Um, so for Lent, um, hopefully you know all you parish musicians out there, you're getting ready for your Lenten, uh, you know all of your Lenten selections. Things like, uh, of course, the Marian Antiphon, the Ave Regina Celorum. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, Sacred Head Surrounded, one oh, of the most most beautiful, most poignant uh, Lenten hymns, which, you know, I, I think to some of there's a pacing, you could sort of save that towards closer to Holy Week. Sure. Um, also, Ah, Holy Jesus is another beautiful one. Lord, who throughout these 40 days, mm-hmm. uh, 40 days and 40 nights, which we'll talk about a little bit more today. Uh, also, Take Up Thy Cross. Nice. Um, as well as, uh, don't forget, the Stabat Mater, which in oh, yeah. English you, most people would know as at the cross, her station keeping about yeah. our Blessed Mother's time there at the foot of the cross. Um, and and also um, you might think about when I survey the wondrous cross. Oh, that's a good one, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, those are some good choices. Yeah. And I know you brought your St. Michael hymnal mm-hmm. with you, um, which I, I know there are some parishes that have that. But are these hymns that you would find in, like, the Gather hymnal yeah. or Breaking Bread? or Exactly, you know? yes. These are ones that I um, I pulled out because they are, they're very – they're traditional – but you could also say they're pretty standard, yeah. you know, ubiquitous. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that uh, the uh, most most even if like if you have, have there's gather worship journey songs things mm-hmm. like this that are uh, the the more common hymnals that you'll find in in parishes. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think uh, 
if you have the Ignatius Press Pew Missile, oh yeah, these should these would all be there. Those are fantastic mm-hmm. too. So forty days and forty nights. What uh, what do you like about this well, one? I love this one because it's a nice kickoff to Lent because sure. it talks about the specific acts of you know making sacrifices and and fasting. And of course, it makes the reference to Jesus Himself having fasted and prayed all of those long days. And we are to do likewise. Right. Well, you're going to sing this one for us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, go for it. All right, here we go. Forty days and forty nights you were fasting in the wild. Forty days and forty nights, tempted and yet undefiled. Shall not we thy sorrow share, and from worldly joys abstain? Fasting with unceasing prayer, glad with thee to suffer pain. Then if Satan on us press, flesh or spirit to assail, victor in the wilderness, grant we may not faint nor fail. Keep, O oh keep us, Saviour dear, ever constant at thy side, that with thee we may appear at the eternal Easter tide. That is so beautiful and so simple, mm-hmm, exactly. which I really appreciate about Lenten hymns. I mean, I, I would say the same about Advent hymns too. Mm-hmm. There's there's a real simplicity to the to the melody. Right. Right, they're very singable. Um, I know we don't we don't think much about being a singing culture. We're not really a singing mm-hmm. culture, um, but you know, there's so much we can do. We can teach our children simple hymn melodies. We can sing them. We could sing a you know sing a verse of a Lenten hymn before or after dinner or first yeah. thing in the morning at bedtime. You know, I, I think to to feed that idea of the domestic church, you Mm -hmm. know, that we bring our Catholicity into everything we do, not just church on Sunday. Yeah, well, I hope you'll pick one of these to uh, teach my daughter at her voice lesson with you because she's still singing on Jordan's bank. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, we gotta move on. Yeah, we gotta we gotta move her on liturgically speaking. But uh listeners, if you want Catherine to uh give some tutorials to your choir, I know she would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us through sunrise morning show.com on the contact page and we will get you in touch with Catherine. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. All right, let's take a look at weather across the nation now. Scattered rain showers will be ongoing from the Ozarks through much of the Ohio Valley as cold front drapes over the Great Lakes and down through the southern plains. The showers will gradually spread eastward into the interior portions of the northeast and southwards toward the lower Mississippi and Tennessee valleys by mid to late afternoon. Heading into the evening, the cold front will progress east with storms overspreading much of the northeast down through the Appalachian Spine and into the deep south through the night across parts of the northeast, mainly from central Pennsylvania up through New England. There may be a mix of wintry precipitation. Some scattered snow showers will continue to fall upon parts of the Rockies while light rain lingers over the Pacific Northwest. Rest of the West is expected to be fairly dry today, and mostly clear skies can also be expected across much of the Great Plains and the coastal Southeast. Headlines coming up next.
It's a quarter past here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Support is from MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. If you're switching from coffee to tea for Lent, the Mystic Monks have got you covered with a dozen options from your usual Darjeeling and Earl Grey to more exotic flavors like lemongrass mint and blossoming jasmine. Whether you're buying tea or coffee, you can support the Sunrise Morning Show by earning us a commission on your purchase when you click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. While you're there, browse the Sunrise Morning Show mugs and etched travel mugs in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee and tea at sonrisemorningshow.com. This is Jim Pinto, director of EWTN Media Missionaries. EWTN's mission is to spread the eternal word and to teach others that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. You can help EWTN share the good news by becoming a media missionary. Visit EWTNmissionaries.com today and join us in sharing the eternal word with the world. So Anna Mitchell, I always like how Jim Pinto's beat, you know, goes a little harder than your headline beat. Goes a little yeah. harder. I would call it house music, but I'm not going to. I'm going to call it <laughs> at home music. Oh, I like it. You like it? Yeah, that's good. at home with Jim and Joy. That's good. There you go. 18 pass. Here's uh, here's Hannah. No. Sorry, I'm on the age thing. Here's Anna with headlines. The University of Alabama has announced it's pausing in vitro fertilization services after the Alabama Supreme Court this week ruled that frozen embryos are children. The pastor of the only Catholic church in Gaza says things are getting worse for the 600 Christians who are sheltering there. And another historic Byzantine church in Turkey is about to be used as a mosque. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It is the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. We are glad that you are along. Uh, It is weird that a chair gets a feast day. It's weird that a building gets a feast day on the Feast of St. John Lateran. And there's a couple of other kinds of things like that uh, that may not make sense, but they uh, represent the authority of Peter and not merely a piece of furniture. So just have that in mind. Right. Uh, we've been going over a lot of different sort of Lenten meditations uh, from various saints. Most of the people, Anna Mitchell, we've been talking about uh, who have been offering Lenten meditations from Thomas More, who we'll talk about in a minute, to mm-hmm. Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, these are all people who are uh, no longer with us, and their corpus is complete in terms of their written stuff. But there are a few Lenten meditations out there uh, from people who are still Those among with the us. living. Those among <laughs> the living. Uh, so among them, Father Joseph 
who you hear celebrate Mass so often on EWTN. And if you go to EWTN.com and click on Seasons and Feast Days, uh, you can find Father Joseph's weekly Lenten meditations. Of course, Lent, opportunity to reflect, pray, become detached from the things of this world. If you know anything about Father Joseph's story, he himself uh, had an opportunity to detach from the things of this world. Uh, His life was on one trajectory and then it got on another one. So he's got some great thoughts in general about such things. Uh, but he's prepared a series of Lenten meditations to guide you through this season. Again, you can sign up for those at EWTN.com. Click on Seasons and Feast Days. Uh, I don't know about you, Anna. I've signed up for these things, and they just sort of show up in my inbox. It's nice. And it's like Makes it a easy. feast day happens, and I'm like, oh, well, there, here's an email with a little reflection about that feast day. That's kind of nice. Very convenient. Although it usually happens, I usually get it after we've already done the show, mm-hmm. so I can't steal it. <sighs> I told this to Father Joseph Man. last time I saw him. I'm like, I, it's just, I, I hate that I hear your homilies after I've been on the radio because yeah. I can't steal your material. Well, you just got to take notes and then like have an archive to get For it next, next year. year. Then it's then it's press. less obvious that you're stealing it, Matt. From Father Joseph <laughs> Mary. 21 pounds. Owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. The 12th station, Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus was crucified with two criminals. Pilate had a sign posted saying, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. Mary and the faithful women stood in silence, helpless. After three agonizing hours, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. At last, it was done. He had satisfied all that the Father had asked. In this loving gesture, Jesus reminds us that when we suffer, we are never alone. For through the cross, Jesus unites himself with us. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Deacon Bill Mullaney. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and Stephanie Mann is joining us again from her blog, supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. Good morning, Stephanie. Good morning, Anna. Good so to talk to you. It is good to talk to you yes. as well. We've been using Father Henry Sebastian Bowden's book, yes. Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors, for mm-hmm. many conversations now. And we're going to be using two particular entries in that book to take us through Lent. What are they? Right. This is, uh, he divides 
today for February 19th and the 20th, uh, he divides uh, Thomas More's A Godly Meditation, which was a prayer that Thomas More wrote as he'd been uh, imprisoned in the Tower of London in 1534. And it sets out his plan, I think you'd say, for the long Lent that he spent meditating mm. on the Lord's passion and preparing for his own death, either in prison because he was ill, he was having heart problems, or by execution it, because he knew, of course, that he was never going to swear the oaths that were going to be offered to him and that, that Henry VIII and the powers that were were going to close in on him. So it's a beautiful prayer of him setting out his path for the rest of his life. And I thought, first I thought, oh, well, we could just talk about this on on one day. But then I thought, no, this is a also a, for us, it could be a good guide to Lent and what we do during Lent, because Lent is a process of us giving up things be, because of the things we want to gain, because that's that's the kind of exchange that we're making in, in throughout Lent. And that's what Thomas More does throughout this prayer. And I think the other thing about it is, I I think at least, this was hard for Thomas More. It sounds very, if, if you read it, and especially if you read it out loud, the language is very mellifluous. It's very calm. It's very steadfast. But this was a terrible thing for a man like Thomas More to face. And I think many of us, as we face Lent, we take, face terrible things that we are going to try to do to change our life. Terrible because they're hard and terrible because they're wondrous. They're amazing, of the transformation they can can bring and so that's why i said let's let's talk about it all all Lent yeah. because it's it's huge i think it's a fabulous setting out fabulous idea and you're right huge what he's setting out to do i mean knowing what he endured in prison and leading up to his his trial and and execution and i've mentioned this many times since we have been doing these reflections based on on Father Bowden's book, how much I appreciate the meat that you put on the bones from these entries, because uh, the the two entries, which he calls in the shadow of death, mm -hmm. one and two, are basically just the text of this prayer, followed by um, just a Bible verse that mm -hmm. uh, that Father Bowden puts at the bottom and you wonder it says so I'm gonna read the two Bible verses and then mm -hmm. you can explain why these two Bible verses are so fitting for why they would be coupled with this prayer that Thomas More wrote mm -hmm. it's uh, from from Luke to enlighten them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to direct our feet into the way of peace now, can you talk about why it's so appropriate that, that those verses would be chosen? Well, one thing, of course, that's for the end of the Benedictus. And so anyone who prays either the Magnificat morning prayer or morning prayer from the Liturgy of the Hours is familiar with these verses. And this is indeed what is being set out for anyone who's going to try to lead people to Christ or lead themselves to Christ is this is their pattern is to evade that darkness and, and the shadow of death and enter into the way of peace. And that is exactly what Thomas More is facing. He is in the shadow of death and he wants to make sure that he is entering into the way of peace so that he doesn't 
doesn't dwell so much on everything he's lost, but looks to what he wants to gain and what he needs, what his, well, what his whole life has been about, but particularly what these next months or years, whatever he was going to face in the Tower of London, what that was going to be for him and how he wanted to end his life with uh, the hope of, of salvation and the hope of going to heaven and not to, not suffering any purgatory. In fact, that's one of the lines that he has in it, to be content to suffer my purgatory here, mm-hmm. not wanting to go to purgatory, but going to heaven uh, immediately. So he has this, these prayers, and it is beautiful, the, the, what he has set out for himself. Well, and what I find so incredible is that he wrote this prayer in his breviary where mm-hmm. he would be praying this prayer along with all the rest of the church in the liturgy of the hours mm-hmm. and and with us today we pray those yes. same prayers that he was praying and writing in the margins of his breviary yes yes it it, it, it makes time go away i mean i think that's yeah. one of the things that studying history does in some ways but also when you when you're in the realm of prayer and in union with god time is 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 past as you know saint augustine said time is all one to g to to god so we can pray for something in the past and it we don't know what the effect it has had but we could we can do that so even as we go through these meditations with saint thomas more for and how they apply to us we could be praying for thomas more and and that he did fulfill these uh expectations for himself and that he did cast away so many things that he that were so dear to him that were goods in themselves so that he could achieve greater goods amen thank you so much stephanie mann you can find her blog supremacy and survival.blogspot.com linked at sunrise morning show.com just check out the show notes for today be sure to click that subscribe button consider downloading our app as well all at sonrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The University of Alabama has announced it is pausing in vitro fertilization services. Earlier this week, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are children. That decision comes out of a 2022 case where several couples filed a wrongful death lawsuit after frozen embryos were dropped on the floor in what's known as a cryogenic nursery by a hospital patient. The University of Alabama says they must pause IVF while they evaluate the potential that patients or doctors could be prosecuted for conducting IVF treatments. U.S. prosecutors say a Japanese crime boss has been trafficking nuclear material from Myanmar to sell to Iran. Mark Mayfield has the story. An indictment was announced on Wednesday against Takeshi Ebisawa, who prosecutors claim is a leader in Japan's Yakuza crime syndicate. Ebisawa is being charged with trafficking uranium and plutonium with the expectation that Iran would use the materials to make nuclear weapons. The 60-year-old Ebisawa is already being held on drug and weapons trafficking charges. He's expected to appear this morning in federal district court in Manhattan. I'm Mark Mayfield. Another historic Byzantine church in Turkey is about to be used as a mosque. The Fides News Agency reports the ancient Kora Church, which has some of the most important works of Byzantine art in it, has been used as a museum for the past 79 years 
It'll open for Islamic prayers starting tomorrow, February 23rd. This has been a plan in the works since 2020 in Turkey. That's the same year the country converted the Hagia Sophia back into a mosque. A Los Angeles woman remains detained in Russia after being accused of treason. Russian authorities allege the dual national raised funds in support of Ukraine. The woman's employer in California says she was arrested after donating $51 to a Ukrainian charity. Russian officials also say the 33-year-old ballerina took part in public actions inside the United States in support of Ukraine. The punishment for treason in Russia is up to 20 years in prison. The Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith has given an update to the ongoing investigation into former Jesuit artist Father Marco Rupnik. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The Vatican Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, or DDF, has contacted several institutions over the past months to obtain documentation related to Father Marko Rupnik, a Slovenian-born former Jesuit and artist. The Holy See Press Office confirmed on Wednesday that the DDF's investigation has been expanded into other ecclesial realities. The press office said the investigation is continuing into allegations against Father Rupnik, who has been accused of inflicting psychological and sexual abuse on several adult consecrated women. He was dismissed from the Society of Jesus in June 2023. On October 27th, Pope Francis entrusted the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith with the task of examining the case after deciding to waive the statute of limitations to allow the proceedings to take place. The decision was taken after the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors in September sent the Pope some reports it had received regarding serious problems in the handling of the Rupnik case and the lack of closeness to the victims. Also on Wednesday, two former consecrated members of the Loyola community held a press conference in Rome at the headquarters of the Italian Foreign Press Office. Accompanied by their lawyer, one of the women spoke of physical, psychological, and sexual abuses she personally experienced at the hands of Father Rupnik. The two former nuns said that they hoped to obtain truth and justice and denied being driven by personal revenge. I have forgiven myself and I have forgiven Rupnik, said Gloria Branciani, reiterating her hope that the truth and the wrong suffered may be recognized. I'm Devin Watkins. Boeing is replacing the head of its 737 MAX program. The company announced yesterday that Ed Clark is leaving Boeing after nearly two decades. The 737-9 MAX jet has been under scrutiny since a door plug blew out during an Alaska Airlines flight last month. The FAA grounded all 737-9 MAX planes following the incident. In response, Boeing said it is revamping its quality control procedures. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Did you give up coffee or caffeine for Lent? Be sure to check out the tea and decaf offerings from the Mystic Monks of Wyoming. 
Find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. When you make a purchase after clicking our link, we earn a commission to help support the show. The monks also have their seasonal favorite Pasca Java available for you to buy now in anticipation of your Easter Sunday feast. And why not add a Sunrise Morning Show mug to include in the Easter basket? Find those mugs and a Mystic Monk Coffee link at sonrisemorningshow.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. If the world despises us, let us rejoice, because there is reason for it. Let us realize that we deserve it. If it esteems us, let us despise its judgments. Its esteem for us is blind, without foundation of knowledge or truth. Do not worry about what the world thinks. Despise its esteem. Let us say whatever it likes, whether good or bad. What is desirable is that we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, going about our work no matter what the world thinks. Truly the world is a great charlatan and always talks too much, both about what is good and what is bad. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on this Thursday morning, the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Robert Nixon. He is a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia, translator of the Tan Resurrection series, and among those books in that series is The Paradise of the Soul by St. Albert the Great. We've been going through it. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Eddie. It's good to have you back. And today we are going to be unpacking St. Albert's reflections on the virtue of constancy. What is constancy? Well, constancy, and this is a particularly important one during Lent, I believe. Mm -hmm. He tells us that perfect constancy exists when a person is not able to be deterred or distracted from his faith, devotion to God, and commitment to sound morality and upright conduct by anything that happens to him, no matter how mm -hmm. good or bad. So this constancy is a, is a determination it's a deciding, you know, what is right and wrong, what, what we believe in, what our faith is, what, what prayer we're committed to, what life we're committed to, and sticking to it um, regardless. And, of course, the distractions can both be things which are good or bad. Um, equally, mm -hmm. they can serve as distractions from our intentions. Yeah. And I think Lent is a great time for trialing this constancy by seeing how well we can stick to our to our, um, our resolutions just for this short period of 40 days. It's, a, it's effective training in this virtue of constancy. Oh, Father, you are not kidding. I mean, honestly, Thursday after Ash Wednesday, I was ready to give up on Lent, you know? I mean, it is. It's a, it's a constant temptation to be distracted or to, to come up with excuses for, uh, you know, giving up whatever it is. Giving up, giving up stuff. In, in, <laughs> in, indeed, indeed. And, and this, this actually, I think, is a pattern in human behavior. Sure. When people stop 
something like going to church, for example, they normally justify it with a, a reason why they're doing it. But, you know, true constancy is not to be waived by anything. It's, a, it's, a, it's about emulating that fidelity and obedience which Christ shows towards God the Father mm. and to which he also shows towards the human race in the form of his love and mercy, which is unwavering. Absolutely. I mean, Jesus, clearly the role model for all the virtues, if you will, but there are any number of role models that we can find in Scripture, can't we? Indeed. He talks about Job. And of course, this is a, a classic case. We all know that Job is struck by all these calamities and everything. But despite this, he says, until the day I die, I shall never depart from my innocence nor shall I abandon the righteousness to which I have committed myself. And I think this is a wonderful example because there is nothing in the world which can force a person to abandon their commitment to righteousness, to justice, and to innocence. And, um, and in the face of all his hardships, he doesn't waver. Mm. We also hear about the example of the seven brothers in the book of Maccabees. And this is perhaps not quite as well known a story, but, but each of them are told to renounce God and worship the pagan gods. And they steadfastly refuse to do this and go courageously to their death. And uh, we see this, he mentions, also a wonderful example of constancy in the lives of the martyrs, particularly oh, the early church martyrs. Absolutely. I've just been reading the letters of St. Ignatius of Antioch and so amazed by his constancy, knowing, I mean, he, I was just lead, reading his letter to the Romans, Father, where he was talking about being um, chewed up by leopards. And when he said yeah. that, he, he, see, he said, by that, I mean the Roman soldiers who are you know, all the meaner, no matter what kindnesses are extended to them. And this he endured for months before actually getting to Rome to be literally devoured by animals. That constancy is amazing. Yes, and it, it comes uh, as a particular grace from God, I believe, yeah. that when our determination for this constancy is there, when we commit ourselves, God then supplies whatever strength might be lacking. You know, and, and we hear often in the story of the martyrs that while they were actually being tortured or, or dying, they didn't feel any pain because mm -hmm. God somehow supplied them with the strength to withstand this. So if we do our part in the form of firm resolve, God does his part in supplying us with that strength, which we so often are in need of. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is a great virtue, constancy, in which to talk about how it's connected to other virtues or how other virtues will will aid in um, in 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 persevering in in this particular virtue, like courage, yeah. for instance, when we're talking about martyrdom. Um exactly exactly so all of these virtues go hand in hand mm -hmm. and albert firmly believed that if you cultivate one particular virtue it will overflow into the other virtues and the same with constancy you know if we think our our constancy to god and our faith then overflows into constancy towards our fellow man mm -hmm. and this is actually such an important social virtue 
Um, you know, we all know reliable people. And it's great when you have a friend uh, or a family member who you can, you can trust uh, implicitly. You know that they're perfectly reliable. And this comes, this is a manifestation of this same virtue of constancy. Yeah. So what are the, uh, the signs of true and deficient constancy that St. Albert points out? So um, a sign of true constancy is when a person does not cease from doing what he knows is pleasing to God, even in the face of physical sufferings or loss of possessions. And he gives the example of Tobit, who, of course, uh, suffered greatly, but he continued to bury the dead and practice other works of charity. Um, we see this also with Peter and John when they were facing the persecution after after the ascension of the Lord. And they said, no, it's better for us to obey God than human beings. They were quite unshakable in their determination. So um, this constancy really comes to the fore in the face of adversity, when people stick to something which they've pledged themselves to, regardless of what happens. And I really thought that his prayer to God for constancy was so beautiful. Could you share it with us, Father? Absolutely. Um, what will it benefit me, O Lord, to have begun my life with holy intentions, if as soon as some tribulation arises, I fall away from my works? How easily I am tempted by worldly delights, and deterred by fear, and deceived by false hopes and vain ambitions. Why do the example of so many courageous martyrs fail to move me to emulate their noble constancy? When I see how firmly many sinners and heretics cling to their vices and errors, how is it that I am so weak in clinging to what I know to be the truth? Grant me constancy, Lord, and bestow upon me the firmness to adhere to what is right and just, even to the point of death. For without your grace I am weak and vacillating, but by virtue of the strength only you impart, I can withstand any temptation or trial. Amen. Amen. We've been talking to Father Robert Nixon. The book is called The Paradise of the Soul by St. Albert the Great. You can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you. Thank you, Eddie, and God bless you, and God bless all your listeners on this Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Thank you, Father, and you as well. All right, it's 14 till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, joins us next. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people, now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training.
Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Proclaiming the faith, changing lives. The year was 1998. While praying the rosary with Paula Albertini, an Italian mystic, Mother Angelica removes the braces from her legs and begins to walk. Three physicians independently examine her and find the healing is real. To learn more about Mother Angelica's life and the history of EWTN, visit EWTN.com slash Mother Angelica. Hi, this is Janet Williams. Please join us for Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes and now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Hang on a second, I'm just... Uh... Wiping the sleep, sleep out of your eyes. The sleep out of my eyes. Oh, good. It's a good reminder, you know. You don't really feel like you really woke up until you're done. I'm sorry, I hit my microphone as I was wiping the sleep out of my eyes. There you go. Eleven till. Here's Anna with headlines. The University of Alabama has announced it's pausing in vitro fertilization services in the wake of an Alabama Supreme Court ruling that frozen embryos are children. The Federal Reserve officials are apparently not in a rush to lower interest rates, and the pastor of the only Catholic church in Gaza has said things are getting worse for the 600 Christians who are sheltering there. News at the top and bottom of the hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast, licensed counselor, former seminary professor uh, who's been with us for many, many years helping to unpack various aspects of mental and spiritual health. Kevin, good morning. Hey, Matt. Thanks. Thanks for being up so early to do this. I'm really glad for this topic today because I've heard a bunch of different takes on this kind of thing, like how we can sort of try and get a rein on our thoughts. Now, Mm -hmm. this has ranged everywhere from the power of positive thinking to people listening to tapes where they just hear themselves stating positive things over and over so they can, like, brainwash themselves in a certain direction uh, to people who would reject that entirely and say, you can't control your thoughts at all. They just happen. So where is the church and uh, the, the history of our spirituality when it comes to all these questions? Yeah, thanks, Matt. During Lent here, we're trying to apply some lessons from therapy to how we could uh, better do our Lenten journey. So, you know, thinking might might seem cognitive behavioral therapy is kind of the biggest school of therapy right now. It's got the most research. It's not always well done. So let me talk about that today and give you a couple, give our our listeners a couple of practical tips. So in our faith tradition, what do we say at the beginning of every mass in the penitential rite? you know, I've, I've sinned in my thoughts and in my words, right? So sin is, you know, a lot of times it's behavior, what I do or don't do, but it's also what I, what I think. So what, what does that mean? St. Paul says, don't conform yourself to the pattern of this world, but what be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's a lot of themes here in our, our faith tradition that we can pick up on. And I think like you mentioned, I think some of the misconceptions of cognitive therapy 
is that it's just positive thinking. We'll just uh, it'll be easy to replace those old negative thoughts. You yeah, just think happy those. thoughts and everything will be happy, right? Yeah, and you know, I the way I think about it, it's like these thoughts are like a, a little pit bull with a bone, right? That it just hangs on to that and won't let go, won't give it back to you. Or it's like if we're a gardener, you know, those weeds in the garden, some of them have very deep roots and you can get some of it out, but then you realize the roots go down very deeply. Uh, one of my teachers, uh, Dr. Abadarlis, I was, you know, very privileged to go to some of his classes used to he's a short guy but he would grab his lapel he always wore a coat and he he'd shake himself and he would say this and he would say this is what i have to say to myself every day albert that was his first name albert how did you get that crazy stupid irrational idea in your head and he said we have to vigorously dispute that so i think he was making the point it takes a lot of effort Right. And I think another watered down version of cognitive therapy is that our negative thinking is only about our self image. So I hear a lot of uh, younger therapists, especially trying to work with clients where that you just need to think more positively about yourself. You inherited some really bad ideas from your parents and from the church and you need to to affirm yourself more and not have that negative self-image, which is true up to a point. But in our Christian faith, we believe in something called original sin, right? So some of, let me give you a couple of examples about where we get in trouble with our thinking, is that maybe, maybe to look at it this way, we don't see the world accurately. Uh, St. Paul again says, we see through a glass darkly, and we have these thoughts in our head, our interpretations of behavior, and you mentioned, you know, feelings and emotions and thinking. It's really hard to change our emotions directly, but our our thinking really has a big impact on how we feel. So if a lot of times, and, and this is where an examination of conscience is just really key to, to pause and just to kind of take a glimpse into my head, what have I been thinking for the last half hour? And a lot of times when I do that, Matt, it's embarrassing to say that I have a lot of this self-talk which is, you know, I'm criticizing other people in my head. Probably better to do that than to act it out and, you know, yell at somebody. But it's still a problem because I'm, I'm judging them. I'm complaining about the things that have happened during the day. Turning I'm myself into sorry. a victim. Poor old me. All these yeah, people are just right. being or terrible I'm, to me for yeah. no good reason at all. Yes. Right. Or I'm, I'm not getting my fair share or I'm rationalizing my behavior. So when we, when we think about that, that, you know, we really pay attention to our thoughts. It's kind of a jungle in there. And that's that's something where we can get grace and, and do some work on that. Uh, you know, one of the saints said, you know, a good way to do this is to put, put the best possible interpretation in my mind on somebody else's words or behavior is very difficult so sometimes people will do things or say things that hurt my feelings get me upset and then maybe just to step back and say no could i give them a little grace you know maybe they've got some things going on in their life or which is really even more difficult maybe they've got a point there they're criticizing me but maybe they're partly right so just to step back but we need prayer and and that pause to be able to do that the other one we have is resentments we can build up these grudges against everybody else and you know, what they've done to us, what they've failed to appreciate in us. Uh, now, a way that I suggest to my clients uh, that, that's been helpful for a lot of people, it's very simple, but it's hard to do, is uh, the way I do it, uh, I take an index card uh, where I tell people to get a sheet of paper and just draw a line down the middle and maybe to think about somebody else that's just bugging the, 
the bejesus out of you and, you know, somebody that's getting under your skin. And maybe in the left column or on one side of the index card, just write down, here's how I'm looking at this situation. Here are all my negative thoughts about this. Here are all my unhelpful or not so constructive thoughts about that. Like they're doing it on purpose. They always do that. Why can't they treat me better? Uh, I deserve better than on one side. But then on the other side, you know, I, I think of it this way. If a, a good friend of mine that I look up to and admire, if I think, well, what would Frank think about this? What would Keith say about this situation? Or what would Christ say about this? And that usually gives me a little bit better perspective. And then I can bring that to prayer and, and realize I need help to change my thinking so it doesn't bleed over into action. And so I'm a little bit happier and more at peace and I can be useful and helpful and of service to other people. But my mind really can get in the way. Yeah, well, in that whole thing about looking to the people you admire and thinking about how they would think about this situation, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, sometimes yeah. we have to find somebody who's imitating Christ and see what they're doing so we can figure out how we can imitate Christ. Yeah, uh, yeah we put things. on the mind of Christ, right? Yeah, so. we have the mind of Christ, as Paul says, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Kevin Prendergast, thank you so much. Got another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up after the break. It's three till. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. Hey, a way to start your day. We continue on this Thursday. It is the 22nd of February. Kind of an interesting feast today. It's the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Let's pray the collect for Mass today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Grant, we pray, Almighty God, that no tempests may disturb us. For you have set us fast on the rock of the Apostle Peter's confession of faith. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start a Thursday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on EWTN. Some of y'all been with us for a little while. Some of you maybe just woke up or just got here. We're glad you're with us. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And if you want to see what this thing looks like on video, you can check out our Facebook page uh, or our Sunrise Morning Show YouTube channel, all linked in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up this hour, Dr. John Bergsma has more thoughts on salvation, history, and love as the theme that runs under all of it. Rita, Rita Heikenfeld has more Linton meatless recipes uh, for you. She's got a fish recipe, a lemon butter pan fried fish recipe that some of y'all are going to want to use tomorrow. Also this hour, Gary Machuda with more thoughts uh, that help us understand how we can rely upon the veracity of the Gospels. And then Courtney Brown with more thoughts on helping middle schoolers understand the principles behind theology of the body. So two minutes past, news of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. (music) 
Good morning. The University of Alabama has announced it's pausing its in vitro fertilization services. Earlier this week, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled frozen embryos are children. The decision comes out of a 2022 case where several couples had filed a wrongful death lawsuit after frozen embryos were dropped on the floor of what's known as a cryogenic nursery by a hospital patient. The University of Alabama says they must pause IVF while they evaluate the potential for prosecution for conducting IVF. The pastor of the only Catholic church in Gaza says things are getting worse for the 600 Christians sheltering there. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. This is not the first time that the Israeli army has ordered the population of Gaza City to leave the area, and each time the displaced Christians living in the Holy Family Parish compound have decided to stay, as it is impossible to move the elderly, sick and disabled people sheltered there without jeopardizing their safety. This time too, said Sister Nabila Saleh, they don't want to move despite the risks. The nun of the Sisters of the Rosary of Jerusalem again lamented that the international community is not doing enough to stop the war. Civilians here are dying under bombs and from hunger and hardship, she said. For his part, Father Gabriele Romanelli, the parish priest of the Holy Family who hasn't been able to return to Gaza City since the 7th of October, describes the situation of Christians and the civilian population living in the enclave as a way of the cross. According to the Hamas Ministry of Health, since the outbreak of the war, the death toll among Palestinians killed by the Israeli attacks on Gaza has now exceeded 29,000, with over 69,000 injured. In this context, the Holy Family Parish's living conditions are becoming more and more difficult, and after four months of war, the 600 displaced Christians sheltering in the compound are tired and disheartened. On Friday last week, Father Romanelli managed to get in contact with his parish to celebrate the first Lenten Way of the Cross. In this Lenten season, we share our Way of the Cross with Jesus, asking for the gift of peace, said Sister Nabila, who called for prayers for Christians and all the Palestinian people suffering in Gaza. I am Lisa Zengarini. U.S. prosecutors say a Japanese crime boss has been trafficking nuclear material from Myanmar to sell to Iran. An indictment was announced yesterday against Takeshi Ebisawa, who prosecutors claim is a leader in Japan's Yakuza crime syndicate. He's being charged with trafficking uranium and plutonium with the expectation that Iran would use these materials to make nuclear weapons. He's expected to appear this morning in federal district court in Manhattan. A Los Angeles woman remains detained in Russia after being accused of treason. Russian authorities allege the dual national raised funds in support of Ukraine. The woman's employer in California says she was arrested after donating $51 to a Ukrainian charity. Russian officials say the 33-year-old ballerina also took part in, quote, public actions inside the United States in support of Ukraine. The punishment for treason in Russia is up to 20 years in prison. Federal Reserve officials are apparently not in a rush to lower interest rates. 
Lisa Taylor has more. That's according to minutes from the central bank's meeting last month. Officials expressed optimism that rate hikes had lowered the rate of inflation, but they said they want to see more before easing rates back down. The committee believes some of the progress made may be due to factors that won't last. Since the meeting, consumer and producer price reports have shown inflation running hotter than expected. I'm Lisa Taylor. And Kansas City Chiefs kicker Harrison Butker has given his jersey to the family of Lisa Lopez Lopez Galvan, the woman who was killed in a shooting at the Super Bowl celebration parade. KNBC reports her family wanted a jersey for her to wear to her for her funeral as Butker's was her favorite player. Butker's said, quote, My wife Isabel and I are heartbroken by the murder of Lisa due to degenerate violence. He said, murder is a sin that cries out to God for vengeance, and I pray the men involved in this tragedy will be brought to justice. Hearing that she was a fan of my outspokenness for our shared Catholic faith makes this even more personal. He said, I am honored to provide a jersey to the family for her to wear while the family is mourning their loss and grappling with their numerous injuries. I continue to pray for their healing and for the repose of Lisa's soul, end quote. Well, Harrison, we join you in that. Amen. So may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest, rest in, in peace. peace. Uh, an awful story, but uh, what an opportunity to to really show love to that family. Uh, and uh, I'm grateful to hear that from from Harrison. He seems yeah. like a like a pretty cool guy. He's done some pretty Stand-up cool things guy. with some— some other uh, ministries that you and I have been involved with over the years as well. Indeed. Indeed. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So thanks, Harrison. All about it. Well, today is Thursday, February the 22nd, the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. St. Peter, pray for us. Dr. John Bergsma is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We've been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So, Doc, we are going to be moving into the last part of your book, which is focused on reviewing what we have learned from Genesis to Revelation about love and uh, particularly lessons that we can take away for our own marriages. So let's head back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read from uh, verses 18 through 25 here. And just as a reminder for listeners, this is the second account of creation. In the first account, we hear, you know, how God's creating everything. It was good. It was good. It was good. Man is very good. So in Genesis 2, starting with verse 18, we hear, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman 
because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings, clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Doc, what do we learn about marriage and God's intention for marriage from this passage? Yes, Anna. Uh, there's so much. Um, starting with what you mentioned last, that language of clinging to his wife. He shall leave his father, mother, and cleave to his wife. It's such a strong term in Hebrew, debak. It's like glued to, hmm. and it implies indissolubility, um, that this is, this is an unbreakable union, which is also applied by the language that says one flesh. You know, and our Lord emphasizes that later, saying what God has joined together, let no man uh, put asunder in the traditional language. And so starting at the end of the story and working back, you see that emphasis on the unbreakable bond. And so for our own marriages today, you know, it's like the, the attitude that we as Catholics go into marriage with. It has to be an attitude that we never put divorce on the table as an option, you know, no matter how difficult things become. That word is just like not brought up in our relationship. And that's also how we want to train our children to think as well. Like this is a lifelong commitment. And therefore, when you're dating, when you're courting, um, you're very serious and intentional about this because once you make that bond, there's no going back. Hmm. So that's a, a major thing that we can take out of uh, that uh, early presentation of the first marriage and, and so many others. There's delight there. You know, when, when um, Adam says, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh <laughs> of my flesh, you know, yep. it's just like he's so happy. And so that teaches us about the joy and the ecstasy that that marriage should be, the the happiness that the union of two persons and the companionship brings. And then to the beautiful expression, um, and well, we read it as a helper fit for him. That's a little bit bland, hmm. but the Hebrew is a help who is complementary to him. Hmm. And the word help, as I point out in the book, uh, is not the help of a subordinate. That word in Hebrew is always help that comes from above from God or from a king. And so to think of one's spouse as a, a gift from God that is complementary, that, that fits and, and perfects, uh, such a beautiful view of the relationship of spouses, I think. And, and yeah. that's something definitely we can embrace and lean into. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to rewind now and go back to the, the first account of creation. This is Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every other living thing that moves upon the earth. 
this idea of being fruitful and multiply. I mean, having children is a blessing from God. It is. And I think that's a major takeaway from this passage. It seems so obvious, but you know, Anna, we're living in a culture where folks would rather have another car mm-hmm. than another child. Um, and in or a some vacation. places, like, yeah, it, exactly. And you know, you can understand that, but it's it's very short sighted. You know, we're we're so dictated by, you know, our our immediate temporal, you know, physical pleasures, etc., and failing to see that hey, every child is an immortal soul and makes a, a permanent impact on human history, yeah. you know, as well as the history of our families and the church. And um, so, you know, I hope that by reflecting on God's Word, uh, we can em- embrace the joy of being open to life, of seeing our families flourish, you know, receiving every child uh, as a gift from God, and, and desiring them, saying, you know, this you know, children are a natural and a supernatural good, and it's okay and it's, it's worthy to want, want them and to, to have the, the full quiver, uh, so to speak, that's spoken of in the psalm, which was like 15 arrows, by the way. <laughs> you, you know, you've got to be blessed with good health. My, my wife and I were very open, and it, it's, it's hard to get past about eight, you know? So, uh, anyway. <laughs> um, well, it's so beautiful. You're so right. A natural and a supernatural good. And and every new soul has an impact on human history. What a statement from Dr. John Bergsma. And you can read more about this in his book, Love Basics for Catholics, which is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Bergsma, thank you. Absolutely. Talk to you next time. I look forward to it. All right, it's 16 past. We're back with headlines right after this. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, lighthouse work, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Did you give up coffee or caffeine for Lent? Be sure to check out the tea and decaf offerings from the Mystic Monks of Wyoming. Find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. When you make a purchase after clicking our link, we earn a commission to help support the show. The monks also have their seasonal favorite Pasca Java available for you to buy now in anticipation of your Easter Sunday feast. And why not add a Sunrise Morning Show mug to include in the Easter basket? Find those mugs and a Mystic Monk Coffee link at sonrisemorningshow.com. 
The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. I don't like looking back. I prefer to look forward and keep moving forward. There's plenty to cover. I do a lot of research and try to dig out the bits and pieces of a life or an agenda that people don't want to talk about. The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. Tonight, 8 Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. The University of Alabama has announced it's pausing in vitro fertilization services in the wake of the Alabama Supreme Court ruling this week that frozen embryos are children. The pastor of the only Catholic church in Gaza has said things are getting worse for the 600 Christians that are sheltering there. And a Los Angeles woman remains detained in Russia after being accused of treason news at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And hey, Matt, I got, I, hold on. Can oh, I oh, just ahead. say one thing? Because yes. I got an email from Bob Lockman yesterday. Oh, Paul's dad. Paul's dad. Those are always great. And it said equal time. So this is based on yesterday. Oh. He said in the last half hour, he sent this yesterday, of course. He said, I have heard go Rangers and go yes, Bucks. And go Bucks. For equal time, I would ask that the sports guys say go X. With only a few games left, they really need to go. By X, he doesn't mean go plug in the name of the team here. He means the Xavier Musketeers. So, Paul, turn on your mic. You got, you got equal time. Yes, yes. Say go. Say it. Oh, go X. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it, uh, yeah. he's wearing his ex hat. He's yeah, got his ex hat. You know, I, I probably should have said it a few more times yesterday because uh, Xavier actually lost yesterday to Providence <sighs> College. I know. Providence. The Jesuits well, you know, lost to the Dominicans yesterday. Oh, most people don't man. U- lose to Providence, but uh, it is what it is. <laughs> I can't believe You know, I they're, just they're, they're, they're the that. Xavier Musketeers, X, but they used to actually be called the Twitter Musketeers, believe it or not. <laughs> It's a true story. Okay. Why am I, I really? You know, we're coming up on the March Why Madness. Why am I laughing at you? Next week is March. I need more coffee. I'm... I had something substantial that I was going to talk about in this segment, but instead we can just talk about different religious orders and the basketball schools named for them. Yeah. I'm sorry. What were you going to talk about? It doesn't matter. There's no time, Anna Mitchell. You're right. I can't believe You'll I You'll have to wait until tomorrow. Two really ridiculous jokes. I'm ashamed I'm sorry. of myself. Now, now we have to just name every single Catholic, like Jesuit run, run basketball school, Creighton, oh. Georgetown, Boyas, yeah, all that, all that stuff. Go everybody. Go everybody. Go team Catholic. It's twenty one past. You subscribe to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes. When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah 
at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Don Trannell of the Glenmary Home Missioners. Please join me in praying a Glenmary Community Mission Prayer. O loving Father, may your spirit guide our missionary service. Like Jesus, may we proclaim the reign of God is at hand. Like Peter, may we fall on our knees at the sight of your great catch. Like Paul, may we strive to share the gospel with all people. Like Isaac Jobs and companions, may we willingly sacrifice our lives in service to the people of rural America. O creator of all, give us the courage to leave the 99 and go after the lost one. Grant us the joy to rejoice over the found one. Compel us to care for the victims we find along the road. Move us to embrace the prodigal's returning home. We ask this through your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from About Eating. And you can find her linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. It's always great to talk to her at any time, but during this season of Lent, where we're all rethinking our approach to food, it's especially helpful. Good morning, Rita. Well, good morning, Matt. And I've got a couple recipes. I know one for the kids and one for the adults. Some good fish. All right. Sounds great. Well, fish, you don't have to look far in the Bible to find them, do you? Oh, my gosh. No. Um, there were, from what I can understand, about 40 different kinds of fish that just abounded in those waters. Um, you think of the Sea of Galilee, the Nile, the Jordan Rivers, and the Mediterranean Sea. Um, just abounded with fish, as I said. And then, of course, in the Bible, as you said, um, think of, of Matthew in chapter 15. You know, we all know the story of the loaves and fishes, where Jesus uh, took several loaves of bread and a few small fish and miraculously fed, what, 4,000 people or even more, and they had leftovers. Yeah, that's 4,000 men, not even counting the women and children, as Matthew's Gospel tells us. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of references to this. He pulls Peter and Andrew and James and John out of their boats, right, to follow him, <laughs> you know. We know that Jesus ate fish after the resurrection. Uh, and, you know, these were—this uh, was a major industry, right? I mean, this is how a lot of people made their money, was by catching these things. Oh, yeah, and it's interesting because uh, back then, if you did sell fish— any fish that was caught uh, for sale had to be counted, and that was necessary, of course, the usual tax purposes, and also um, so that everybody each got their, their fair share. Um, and I didn't know this. This is interesting, too. Fish had to be sold while the water was still on them, remained on them, so you know it really had to be really fresh. All right, so cod is a fish that is going to show up at a lot of fish fries mm-hmm. and in a lot of Catholic kitchens and in a lot of drive through restaurant sandwich menus, right? Cod is one of those classic go-to fishes that a lot of people eat during Lent. So let's talk about a couple of these recipes you have. Um, and I want to know about this fried fish with pretzel, pretzel crust. I've actually tried this before. It's actually really good. Oh, yeah, it is. It, uh, I love revisiting this recipe because, um, well, as we go through it, you'll, you'll find out uh, why. You want to start off with about anywhere 12 to 16 ounces of fillets, and you mentioned cod. That's always a good one. Um, if they're frozen, you want to thaw them and make sure you uh, dry them so that they fry up. And then if, if you want to make, like, uh, fish sticks for the kids, just cut those into thick sticks. 
And then uh, what you're going to do, you're going to uh, do what we call dry, wet, dry. You're going to have one bowl with some flour and either seafood seasoning, seasoned salt or regular salt, um, and some pepper. Let the kids whisk that up. And then in a, uh, like a shallow bowl, you want to have somebody whisk up a couple eggs. And then the third bowl, the dry, wet, dry, that's where you're going to put in some crushed pretzels. Um, a good, I said a half a generous cup, I usually use more. You, you can use pretzel sticks. Um, depends on what you or your kids like. What would you use? You want to just crush those up. There's so many different kinds of pretzels now. Yeah, just the sticks uh, are usually fine. Um, and, and honestly, you know, a lot of what you want out of the pretzels is already in the bottom of whatever bag of pretzels you got, right? <laughs> They're already dusted up. And the easy thing to do is just, uh, you know, I put them in a Ziploc bag and hit them mm-hmm. with a rolling pin. I mean, that's all you really got to do. Yeah, that's true. And that's a good tip, too, about what's left in the bottom of the bag. You've already got them crushed. That's anyway, also the saltiest part, too. Oh, yeah, I love that. Um, basically, you're going to fry those, not deep fry them. Um, I put about, oh, a half an inch of, of water, um, sorry, sorry, oil. Boy, my brain isn't working today. Some canola oil, whatever oil, in a skillet. And you just want to fry those till they're golden brown on both sides. It doesn't take long. It took about five minutes total in my skillet. And you want to just drain them on paper towels and um, you can either serve them as tacos, um, just fish sticks for the kids with tartar sauce. Really, really delicious. And it's just such a versatile recipe because when you buy cod for the, the kids for the fish sticks, then you can buy a few extra pieces for uh, lemon butter pan-fried fish for the adults. Yeah, this one's really simple, and I'm looking at uh, what's in it. You're only looking at about, what, three or four ingredients uh, I mean, basically, they're all in the name of the title of the recipe, right? Lemon, butter, fish, a pan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's not exactly. Much more than that. Um, and the the tip here, I always say, is always dry your fish. You know, pat it dry so that because um, any extra moisture, when especially when you saute or fry fish, it's going to affect the browning and it'll steam instead of brown. So basically, you want to have the fish dried and then. Um, I usually just sprinkle some seafood seasoning on each piece. Um, And when you do, I like to press the mixture in it as I go. And then um, you're just going to basically fry those in some olive oil or olive oil and butter. Um, And then meanwhile, you're going to have made up um, the sauce, as you mentioned. It's just like one-fourth a cup of melted butter, juice and zest from one large lemon. And if you want a little seasoning in there, you could throw that in there too. So as the the fish cooks, you want to baste it a bit. I like to baste it a bit with some of the butter seasoning and then save some um, as a, like a drizzle sauce after it's fried. Again, really easy, um, really light too compared to the other fish recipes and something for everyone. And that, by the way, makes an excellent fish sandwich as well. Yeah, it looks great. And uh, it's simple, straightforward. And uh, you've also, you know, recommended put a little tartar sauce on it uh, i just was gonna ask you with like a, just a second here uh, i just basically go mayo dill pickle or dill pickle relish and lemon for tartar sauce and that's about all i do for mine you got any quick tips uh, well i love frishes but that's a lot more complicated so heck i'm gonna make yours that yeah, sounds I mean, it's, like a winner it is the uh it is the 30 second tar- tartar sauce <laughs> method that's well, my mat Well, thank you so much, Rita Heikenfeld. We've got aboutEating.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a wonderful day. 
I will, and I'll talk to you next week. And don't forget, tomorrow is a Friday. So meat's off the menu, boys. Half past, here's Anna with news. Good morning. The University of Alabama is pausing its IVF services. Earlier this week, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled frozen embryos are children. The decision comes out of a 2022 case where several couples had filed a wrongful death lawsuit after frozen embryos were dropped on the floor in what's known as a cryogenic nursery by a hospital patient. The University of Alabama says they must pause IVF while they evaluate the potential for prosecution. U.S. prosecutors say a Japanese crime boss has been trafficking nuclear material from Myanmar to sell to Iran. Mark Mayfield reports. An indictment was announced on Wednesday against Takeshi Ebisawa, who prosecutors claim is a leader in Japan's Yakuza crime syndicate. Ebisawa is being charged with trafficking uranium and plutonium with the expectation that Iran would use the materials to make nuclear weapons. The 60-year-old Ebisawa is already being held on drug and weapons trafficking charges. He's expected to appear this morning in federal district court in Manhattan. I'm Mark Mayfield. A Los Angeles woman remains detained in Russia after being accused of treason. Lisa Taylor reports. Russian authorities allege the dual national raised funds in support of Ukraine. The woman's employer in California says she was arrested after donating $51 to a Ukrainian charity. Russian officials say the 33-year-old ballerina also took part in public actions inside the United States in support of Ukraine. The punishment for treason in Russia is up to 20 years in prison. I'm Lisa Taylor. Another historic Byzantine church in Turkey is about to be used as a mosque. The Fides News Agency reports the ancient Kora Church, which has some of the most important works of Byzantine art and which has been used as a museum for the past 79 years, will open for Islamic prayers starting tomorrow, February 23rd. This has been a plan in the works in Turkey since 2020, the same year that the country converted the Hagia Sophia into a mosque. The Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith has given an update to the ongoing investigation into former Jesuit artist Father Marco Rupnik. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The Vatican Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, or DDF, has contacted several institutions over the past months to obtain documentation related to Father Marco Rupnik, a Slovenian-born former Jesuit and artist. The Holy See Press Office confirmed on Wednesday that the DDF's investigation has been expanded into other ecclesial realities. The press office said the investigation is continuing into allegations against Father Rupnik, who has been accused of inflicting psychological and sexual abuse on several adult consecrated women. He was dismissed from the Society of Jesus in June 2023. On October 27th, Pope Francis entrusted the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith with the task of examining the case after deciding to waive the statute of limitations to allow the proceedings to take place. The decision was taken after the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors in September sent the Pope some reports it had received regarding serious problems in the handling of the Rupnik case and the lack of closeness to the victims. Also on Wednesday, two former consecrated members of the Loyola community held a press conference in Rome at the headquarters of the Italian Foreign Press Office. Accompanied by their lawyer, one of the women spoke of physical, psychological, and sexual abuses she personally experienced at the hands of Father Rupnik. 
The two former nuns said that they hoped to obtain truth and justice and denied being driven by personal revenge. I have forgiven myself and I have forgiven Rupnik, said Gloria Branchani, reiterating her hope that the truth and the wrong suffered may be recognized. I'm Devin Watkins. Former President Trump's attorneys are requesting a delay of enforcement on the $355 million he now owes in his civil fraud trial. After the verdict this week, Trump has one month to come up with the funds to pay the penalty. On Wednesday, Trump's legal team requested a 30-day extension to give him more time to find the funds. His attorneys argued that New York Attorney General Letitia James is in unseemly in an unseemly rush to enforce the verdict. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN Radio. It's 35 minutes past the hour. The Giving up coffee for Lent? Look no further than the Mystic Monks for a great selection of their Mystica tea to get you through the season. And when you shop their site for tea or coffee, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, check out our online store where you can purchase Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Find our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee and Tea at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Hello, I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. One of the least known psalms, I suspect, is Psalm 109. A few lines may explain why. May his days be few. May his children wander about as beggars. Let no one extend kindness to him. But I'm struck by the way the psalm begins. It says, Be not silent, O God of my prayer. The psalmist wants nothing to do with the harsh words that we find in the Psalter. The psalmist is completely focused on giving praise to God and Those harsh words in this psalm are words spoken to others against the psalmist. But the psalmist says later on, Well, let them go on with their cursing, but let God give blessing. And may people who say such terrible things as we hear elsewhere in the psalm be clothed with shame and dishonor. So Psalm 109 turns out to be a very wonderful psalm, giving us an example to focus on prayer rather than words that would hurt others. So let's join that psalmist and say along with him, Be not silent, O God of my prayer. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Gary Machuda. He is the author of a number of books, including The Gospel Truth, which you can find, along with all his other great stuff, through Hands-On Apologetics, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Gary, good morning. Morning, Matt. We're continuing our conversation about how we can count on the reliability of the gospel accounts uh, and really understand that they are trustworthy. And I find once we get to chapter 8 of your book, Uh, which you've actually written a whole lot on this topic, but this idea that we can verify the scriptures through hostile witnesses. What in the world do you mean by that? Yeah, well, you know, Newton's third law of motion states that every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. 
And that's not only true in physics, it's also true in history. You know, whenever uh, you have a conqueror, you have the conquered. Whenever you have an invader, you have the occupied. You know, whenever you have a movement, you have resistance in the movement. And so the same thing's true with Jesus, that Jesus, the apostles, as they, uh, you know, as his ministry and as the gospel began to spread, uh, you have reactions. And I call those hostile witnesses because uh, they're not in any way you know, amenable to Christianity. But nevertheless, there are certain facts about Christianity that they kind of have to react to. And I think that's kind of the gold standard as far as uh, evidence for the faith. Well, you're not shameless, but I'll be shameless on your behalf. You can find out more in Gary's book, Hostile Witnesses, How the Historic (laughs) Enemies of the Church Prove Christianity. (laughs) Because you've written a whole book on this, because there's a lot here. You know, what's fascinating to me, uh, well, there are a number of things. I think we understand this in everyday life. Because uh, you don't have to watch many sports to have them ruined by political commercials, right? And most of what I know about politicians, I know from the attack ads that people run against them, right? (laughs) This is kind of how we learn about what other people think is by what they get attacked for. But what's interesting, Gary, is that – well, there's a lot of interesting things here. But there are are, uh, schools of thought that would say – uh, you know, the ideals of the Reformation or the ideals of uh, uh, this certain theological stripe from the 18th century, they go back to the beginning, but we can't find them because the church eradicated them. Well, actually, the fact that we don't have evidence of the church telling us that they were bad is actually a weird proof that they probably didn't exist. Right, exactly, yeah. There, it's it's kind of the, you know, the realism we, we live in. There's, like I said, for every action, there's always an opposite reaction. And if you don't have the reaction, it, it seems unrealistic, right? Because there should be some pushback in some quarter of, you know, uh, of where this phenomenon supposedly started. And we find that in the pages of the New Testament. You find it throughout church history. You find it today. So here is the most basic and straightforward version of this, since we're going through Mark's gospel as a church. uh, Some people might be like, it's weird that Mark's gospel is full of so many accounts of demons possessing people and Jesus casting out the demons. But when you think about it, it'd be weirder if the Son of God took on human flesh and was dwelling among us and the demons had no reaction at all. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, so even demons are hostile witnesses in that sense. You know, uh, so uh, they, uh, and they're very explicit, too. I mean, they identified Jesus as the Son of God way before the apostles, you know, started getting an inkling that maybe Jesus is, uh, you know, possibly the Son of God. So who are some of the earliest hostile witnesses outside of the Scriptures that show us windows into Christianity and uh, maybe help us understand that this really was a thing? Yeah, uh, well, uh, you know, dating's kind of hard, so I don't know if I could actually pinpoint the earliest. But uh, you do find in rabbinic literature, for example, uh, which, uh, you know, the the rabbis are the heirs of the Pharisee movement. Uh, And the Pharisees, by the way, were hostile witnesses in the New Testament. Uh, When they describe Jesus in uh, rabbinic literature— there's one passage in uh, a document called Sanhedrin 43a where it describes Jesus as he's going to be uh, hung on a tree for practicing sorcery and enticing Israel to apostasy. And I love that because that's a typical hostile witness 
data, right? It, it, it's, uh, you know, you wonder, uh, sorcery, you know, how in the world could they charge Jesus with sorcery? Well, you know, that kind of fits with what we see the Pharisees saying in the New Testament, right? Because they claim that Jesus cast out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And so they, they liken Jesus' miracle that the, the power comes from a demonic power, not from God. And so you you could just look at the later, you know, the heirs of the Pharisees, and you find they're kind of making the same charge, except, you know, they put it more in the realm of magic than demonic powers. But really, in the ancient world, it's, two, you know, two sides of the same coin. So I want to just key in on that little aspect of this, because I find this absolutely fascinating. So a sorcerer, Jesus is not. We know that because <laughs> we we have the Nicene Creed and the Gospels. Uh, but we also know that because Jesus doesn't do the kind of things that a sorcerer does. A sorcerer, uh, or a person who is invoking the power of sorcery, will say something like He-Man says when he says, By the power of Grayskull, I have the power. <laughs> Jesus does not say things like that. He looks at the wind of the waves and he just says, Be still, <laughs> right? Or yeah, he, right. he just says, like, go out of him. But then later... When he has ascended into heaven and the apostles are out doing miracles, they are saying, in the name of Jesus, do this, right? So it's clear that Jesus is not accessing some sort of weird elemental power. He is the power. Yeah. Unlike exactly. He-Man, who has the power, as it were. Exactly. Yep. And I love the He-Man reference, too, by the way. Yeah, there was always long incantations that were recited. Usually it's mostly gibberish. We have some of the records of some of these things. And what they try to do is kind of coerce the demons to do their bidding. Jesus just says, do it, and it's done, you know. And uh, even as early as Origin of Alexandria, when he was refuting a uh, anti-Christian writer named Celsus, he points that out, that Jesus... You know, we didn't perform—Christians don't perform miracles through these long incantations. They just say the name Jesus. That's all they need to do, and miracles happen. And yes. uh, so to a pagan eye, it would look like magic, but from a Christian sources, what you see is, no, this is demonstration of Jesus' power as Son of God. Was Celsus the one who said that Jesus just learned a bunch of magic tricks when he was down in Egypt? Yeah, yep, that's the one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's followed by others as well. Well, I mean, but it's a, an attempt to—I mean, this is—you can understand why people are, are, are confused by Jesus, right? Even pagans, especially, because they're used to people, you know, doing spells and incantations. Uh, but the people—and this is what's fascinating to me as well—people would say, this guy speaks as someone who actually has authority. Right, yeah. And, you know, another really interesting hostile witness is we have some magical papyra, you know, the, the papyra that was made for uh, these— practicers of magic. And interesting enough, the pagan magicians noticed how powerful Jesus' name was in casting out demons. And we actually have formulas that use Jesus' name in it. And one of it has in the heading says that this is a remarkably effective formula. <laughs> so the pagans were invoking Jesus' name because they saw that there was power in it. And that's yeah. a, one, a great hostile witness to the truth of Christianity. Yeah, it is, uh, man, 
I have so many more questions about this. But I encourage people to go check out not just uh, Gary's chapter on hostile witnesses and how they help us understand the truth of the gospel. That's in Gary's book, The Gospel Truth. Uh, But I also encourage you to check out Gary's book, Hostile Witnesses. We did a whole series on that as well a while back. Uh, Gary, we've got hands-on apologetics linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you as always. Have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too, Matt. All right, 14 Till, got headlines coming up next. Support is from MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. Mamas in Spirit is a mini retreat and a podcast for Catholic women talking about how God has converted their hearts and transformed their lives, opening hearts to the boundless love of God. You can hear Mamas in Spirit as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates around the world, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTN.com slash radio and click Podcast Central today. Hi, this is Janet Williams. Please join us for Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes and now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Remember, tomorrow's a meatless Friday, Anna Mitchell, every part of the year, but now it's the chicken of the sea. But tomorrow, it's the chicken of the holy sea. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. How long were you thinking about that? About 30 seconds before the break. Yeah, clearly. Okay. Just just wanted to make sure. Okay. The University of Alabama has announced it is pausing in vitro fertilization services in the wake of the Alabama Supreme Court ruling this week that frozen embryos are children. The Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith has given an update to the ongoing investigation into former Jesuit artist Father Marco Rupnik. The pastor of the only Catholic church in Gaza has told Vatican News things are getting worse for the 600 Christians sheltering there. Pray for them. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Courtney Brown is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's executive director of the Rua Woods Institute. We've been getting many lessons on the theology of the body through their K-12 curriculum called Revealed. Good morning, Courtney. 
Good morning. How are you? I am doing great and uh, excited to move into grade five today with our mini lessons. And before we get to the storybook that you use, which is so interesting, um, first of all, what are what are the general themes that you seek to cover in fifth grade? So this is a great um, age group. This is the time when you start to see kids really able to really wrestle with mystery, if you will, sure, and concepts and making connections. It was a fun age for me to go in and present to, and even when I was principal, I remember one class, fifth grade class, I went down and was going to talk to them about Abraham and the connections between that story of Abraham and Isaac with God the Father and Jesus. And at one point I mentioned the connection of Isaac being the same age as Jesus, possibly, and carrying wood up the mountain for the sacrifice. Right. And one kid had this pondering look, and he was a thinker, and then he said, well, what kind of wood was it? And then I was like, I, I don't know, cedar. And then he, <laughs> and then that just derailed the entire conversation for 10 minutes. One girl was like, my dad cooked salmon on cedar. And then another girl was like, oh, I love salmon. And then it was like, oh all right, I got to bring this back. Yeah. So, yeah. But it, they do make – it's a great age to really talk about. So the themes we kind of walk through in this age group is first and foremost talk about creation and then the connection to other creation type of accounts. And that's where the, uh, the, the story choice came in. But, but then we also continue to move into who Jesus was how he was the, the epitome of friendship, because he gives his life, and that's, an amazing, that's a major theme in this, uh, this grade level, this idea of giving your life for another mm. and how that leads to life. Um, wow. And then also we move into virtues. And so and the virtues are kind of, when we, when we talk about virtues, we don't talk about their own ability to choose to do the good, but we really talk about we're trying to frame within them that real habitus, which in the Latin derivative of a habitat, where Christ takes a home in their heart. Mm-hmm. So virtue flowing more in the idea that we have a relationship in Christ, and we share in His virtues. So that's kind of the Christian Catholic perspective. And then that moves them into, again, reflecting on this, this human story, right? Like our beginning, where we are now, and what's our destiny. So that kind of, those are the thematic elements that flow through our fifth grade lessons. Okay, and now the storybook that goes with this is Dolaire's Book of Greek Myths. That's what? Correct. Greek myths. I know it's kind of it's a it's a it's a fun one. So the Greek myths. This is actually I I'm going to speak to this a little bit. I know I've said this before. Um, we kind of in our culture think myths have no place, mm-hmm. which is actually quite wrong. C.S. Lewis. Um, I, I might be wrong here in terms of the, if it was a conversation with J.R. Tolkien, but it is something I, I'm having a vague memory. But J.R. Tolkien talks about, actually, it's quite the contrary, that myths hold the, like, the deep truths, the deep yeah. hidden truths that you know, mere scientific empirical evidence can't really convey. So the myths still hold a place in Western culture, was developed like our politics, how we see um, the city-state come a lot from our understandings of the, what was going on in the Greek myths. So we owe a lot to our own culture, to, the, to what these stories convey. So like, what we have in the first lesson, as you'll see, is the kids will do a creation. Uh, they kind of do a comparative. Like you look at Genesis, and then you look at how, how the Greek myths came about. And there is one clear distinction. In the beginning of the Greek myths, chaos 
is is what rules the nothingness. Well, we know in Genesis, the formless void, it's God who's hovering, right? We have a creator who breathes his life into us. Whereas in the Greek myth, you know, revenge and chaos and all this stuff comes, this is how humans come to be. So they're like these extensions of human behavior. So in a lot of ways, the Greek myth, and I'm making a big jump here, the way they conveyed these deep truths was just looking at human behavior. And this is where we get it from. We get them from these these gods. And that's why, you know, the seven, the 12 Olympians with the god of Zeus, the thunder and sky, and then Poseidon and the sea or whatnot. But so the stories we ask them to choose to, and like, for example, they, they do have some real value for us today. So the story of narcissism is a good one, right? Like, yeah, and sure. I, I can't get into, there's so many variations of it and how he comes to die in the story. And then Echo and the connection with the, the god of Echo and that kind of thing. But for Narcissus itself, essentially, is a, was a river god who was beautiful. And to the point where people were mesmerized by his beauty, wanted to, you know, they loved him and their suitors. And he never, you know, he didn't want to have anything to do with them because he just was more to himself. But then they would pray to this god that he would learn or feel their pain. So they would see that revenge, right? But then, so Nemesis comes and leads him to a, uh, a pond where he sees his reflections, and he falls in love with his reflections. And pretty much in some of the variations is what we see here is he, he can't ever stop looking at himself and looking there, and then essentially just dies yeah. at, the, at the river, you know, and it was, and then it turns in some sort of turns into that flower wow. that's named after mm-hmm. his mom and whatnot. Yeah. But if you think of that story about, like, when we hear the word, I'm a narcissist, well, not I'm a narcissist, but people saying it's a narcissist, yeah, their inability yeah. to emote. But this shows, this is the direct antithesis to the Christian story, right? Yeah. Christian story is, is the exact opposite. You gain your life when you lose it for, for God, right? And that's what we hear in Scripture. And Christ, and that's there where it falls right into that lesson, that he tells us, uh, no greater love than this, than a, a friend to lay down his life for another, right? right? So we see the Christian message is the opposite. To gain life, mm-hmm. we, we give ourselves to the other. We yeah. give ourselves to God. Whereas a narcissist, to the point where Greeks were afraid of mirrors, <laughs> because oh, wow. this story was so impactful that they were afraid that they would end up like narcissists. Wow. I don't have that problem personally. Like I'm, you know, <laughs> I, don't I mean, I, I will myself, admit but... sometimes I wish that I didn't have a mirror around, particularly yeah, okay. in the early morning. But now that we've been doing video for the Sunrise Morning Show, I've had to look in a mirror a little more often than I'd like. However, we say all the time on the show, uh, talking about literature in particular, that sometimes we learn more about virtue when we read about its absence than when yeah. we read about it yeah. um, in in direct ways. And so that's, that's just one lesson that you can get through Revealed. We've been talking about the fifth grade curriculum today with Courtney Brown. You can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Courtney, thank you so much. Yes, have a great day. You too. That'll do it for the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.